Job chapter 1. This story starts out as a tragedy, but in the end, there is restoration. The main theme in this story is about accepting God for who He is. A lot of people want to make up their own version of God, and they think that He should be a sugar daddy, or a doormat, or a Santa Claus. But God is none of those things. He is our Creator, and the only way that we can love Him is to love Him for who He is. He is holy. He is terrifying. He is almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, and He created us, and He controls whether or not you and I will be able to take one more breath. We should be in awe of Him, and if we're not in awe of Him, we're not worshiping the real God, and we're not accepting Him for who He is. If He's only a God that's allowed to make us feel good, or only a God that's allowed to affirm us, then it isn't the real God, because the real God is way more than that, and a lot more complicated than that. God knows things that you and I will never understand or know. And that's why a lot of his decisions confuse us, because we can't see the big picture like he can. He has tons more information than we do, and that's why we easily get confused by his decisions. But we can't judge him, because he does have all that extra information that you and I don't have. And there is an excellent reason for everything that he does. Everything he does is good. He allows us to suffer. But it's for our good. It grows us. It develops character. It tests our faith. And it can grow His kingdom. Our testimony in our suffering can grow God's kingdom and cause other people to get saved. And ultimately, His great goal is that as many people go to heaven as possible. And if that means that you and I have to suffer every now and then so that another person can enter in into God's kingdom, it's absolutely worth it, not only for us, but also for that person and for God himself. You and I will get rewarded for all of our suffering. If we make it to heaven, there will be rewards. So we don't have any reason to judge God. And when life seems unfair, we have to realize that everything we have from life is pure gravy, meaning he didn't even have to create us in the first place. Just the fact that we are created is enough to worship him all in and of itself, and we could spend the rest of our lives worshiping him for that reason alone. But on top of creating us, he allows us to continue to live, he gives us family, friends, adventure, in this life, trials which help us to grow and make life interesting. If we never had trials, we'd be bored, and that's the truth. But he gives us a will to live and everything, and on top of all this, he offers us eternal salvation so that we won't just go into a puff and become nothing. We'll actually live forever. In this book, we're going to learn more about the full character and the full person of God. We won't completely understand him, but we'll learn enough about him to respect and love him for who he is, instead of making our own little fictional God, who really isn't worthy of respect. A God who always gives you what you want is not a God at all. That's just a doormat. Job is an ancient man who lived before Moses. He may have even lived in the time of Abraham, but from the research that I can gather, it sounds like he lived after the sons of Jacob had passed away. 
And at the time that this story takes place, he lived when the Israelites were living in Egypt for 400 years. But it was probably before the Israelites became slaves, because they didn't become slaves in Egypt until near the end of that 400-year time period. Somewhere in between, when Jacob's sons died in Egypt and when the Israelites became slaves in Egypt, somewhere in between that time period, we have the story of Job, who is technically a citizen of Egypt because he is a descendant of Jacob. But he seems to be living on the outskirts of Egypt, pretty close to Canaan, but still in Egyptian territory, from what I can surmise. He lived in the land of Uz, and the Bible says that Edom was within the land of Uz, which means Uz is a larger territory than Edom. Edom was south of Canaan, just touching the lower part of Canaan, and Edom was where the children of Esau lived. I'm guessing since Uz was a larger territory, it actually crossed over the Red Sea and touched into Egypt. He could be still a citizen of Egypt, not a slave, because it was before the Israelites were made into slaves, and not living in Canaan either, because he's technically living in Uz. I could be wrong, but this is just the best research that I could do. Also, there is a man named Eliphaz in the book of Job, and he is one of Job's friends who comes to comfort him and doesn't do a very good job of comforting him. But Eliphaz was related to Esau. He was an Edomite, so he was not an Israelite. However, Job was a descendant of Issachar. I think he was a... But by the time this story takes place, Issachar and all of his brothers are dead. They've already passed away. Job is still alive, and he is much younger than Eliphaz, because Esau had sons 30 years before Jacob did, because Jacob got married a lot later in life than Esau did. That's why Eliphaz is a lot older than Job in this story. And it also explains why Eliphaz's perspective is very wrong, because the Edomites are pagans after all. So you would expect them to have a false understanding of God. Eliphaz believes that God is like a sugar daddy who always rewards us here on earth. And that isn't true. A lot of times God will not reward us here on earth for the things that we suffer. He is going to give us eternal rewards in heaven. But pagans don't believe in that. Pagans want their rewards now. And that's why sometimes people who don't have faith get angry with God when they suffer and they don't receive rewards in this life. They don't realize that it would be better to get their reward in eternity where it will last forever, just as Jesus told us. Whatever we get in this life is passing. It's going to go away and disappear, and we won't take it with us. So God would prefer to reward us in eternity. But Eliphaz doesn't understand that because he is from a pagan nation. However, he is a distant cousin of Job because Esau was Jacob's brother. Verse 1, A man there hath been in the land of Uz, Job his name, and that man hath been perfect and upright, both fearing God and turning aside from evil. Because of Job's faith, he resisted sin. 2, And there are born to him seven sons and three daughters, nine children altogether. 
3. And his substance is 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 pairs of oxen, and 500 she-asses, that's female donkeys, and a service very abundant, meaning he had a lot of servants, probably hundreds of servants in his household. And that man is greater than any of the sons of the east. Uz was east of the Nile River. And also Edom was as well. And Goshen, where most of the Israelites were living, was also east of the Nile River. It makes sense that Job would be somewhere east, but still in Egyptian territory. But somehow he wasn't living directly smack in the middle of Goshen. And again, my research could be faulty, but that's the best that I could come up with. He had nine sons and daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 female donkeys, and hundreds of servants. 4. And his sons have gone and made a banquet, the house of each in his day, and have sent and called to their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. They probably invited their sisters' husbands and children as well, and it was probably a banquet of hundreds of people, including servants. The brothers threw a banquet and invited the sisters. 5. And it cometh to pass, when they have gone round the days of the banquet, which means this banquet lasted multiple days, that Job doth send and sanctify them, and hath risen early in the morning, and caused to ascend burnt offerings, the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned, yet blessed God in their heart. Thus doth Job all the days. The word blessed means cursed blasphemed God in their heart. Every day of the feast, Job was praying and interceding for the forgiveness of his children because he knew that they were drinking and having a party, and he knew that when people get drunk, they say things that could be sinful. And he said, maybe they've gotten drunk and blasphemed the Lord, so I'm going to pray for their forgiveness. So Job was offering sacrifices and prayer every single day for the forgiveness of his children. He is a type of Jesus Christ, which means that he represents Jesus. It doesn't mean that he's like Jesus. He only represents Jesus. And as Jesus intercedes on the behalf of the church for the Father to forgive the church, Job also interceded on behalf of his children for the Father to forgive his children. Now, I'm reading from Young's literal translation and Robert Young, who translated this Bible, he put blessed in the places where it should say cursed or blasphemed. During the time period when Robert Young was translating this translation of the Bible in the 1900s, in the particular region where Robert Young lived, the word bless was negative and it actually meant cursing. So when I'm reading this book, wherever it says blessed, I'm just going to read it as cursed so that you won't get confused. 6. And the day is that sons of God come in to station themselves by Jehovah, and there doth come also the adversary in their midst. Angels have come into the throne room of God to present themselves to him, and Satan has also come into the throne room of God to present himself to God. This is one of the mysteries of God. God actually allows Satan to approach his throne. Until Satan is thrown eternally into the lake of fire, God allows him to approach God's throne and falsely accuse the saints, which is what Satan always does. All of his accusations are false. Remember, Satan is a liar. He never tells the truth. 
So when he's accusing us, he's always lying. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that he always leaves out the most crucial part of his accusation, which is that we're covered by the blood of Christ and we can receive forgiveness if we repent. But Young's literal translation calls God Jehovah, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a derivation of the name Yahweh, which is a derivation of YHWH, which is the name that God gave Moses. So long story short, we cannot pronounce God's name and we don't know what his name is. So for those people who say you have to call God Jehovah, that just flat out isn't true because the word Jehovah itself is a derivation. 7. And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Whence comest thou? And the adversary answereth Jehovah, and saith, From going to and fro in the land, and from walking up and down on it. Satan is looking around to see who he can persecute, who he can falsely accuse, who he can lead into sin. He walks all over the planet looking for victims. 8. And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Hast thou set thy heart against my servant Job, because there is none like him in the land, a man perfect and upright, fearing God, and turning aside from evil? Now in most translations it says, Have you considered my servant? But here in this translation it's revealing, Are you jealous of my servant? Are you angry with my servant Job, because he's righteous and he obeys me? 9. And the adversary answereth Jehovah, and saith, For not is Job fearing God? Satan and God are having a conversation, and it's kind of an argument. God is showcasing Job as a righteous man who obeys him. Now Satan is going to say, But you give him everything he wants. He only obeys you because you are a sugar daddy. Satan is even falsely accusing the father of being a doormat and giving us everything that we desire. 10. Hast not thou made a hedge for him and for his house and for all that he hath round about? Now Satan is saying, you protect him, so he has nothing to complain about. That's why he loves you. 11. The works of his hands thou hast blessed, and his substance hath spread in the land, and yet put forth, I pray thee, thy hand, and strike against anything that he hath. If not, to thy face he doth curse thee. Satan is saying, if you take away protection from Job and you allow him to suffer, then he'll curse you to your face. 12. And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, Lo, all that he hath is in thy hand, only unto him put not forth thy hand, and the adversary goeth out from the presence of Jehovah. God has told Satan that he's allowed to attack and harm Job, but he cannot kill Job, but he can do anything else he wants. A lot of people who don't have faith and who don't understand who God is and that he is our creator and not the other way around, they judge God because he allows us to suffer. But remember, the suffering we go through expands God's kingdom. It brings other people into the kingdom. And this story of Job has been read by billions of people or retold to billions of people. And many millions of them have come to Christ in part because of this story. All of Job's suffering was worth it, even if only one person got saved because of Job's suffering. But we know that millions have gotten saved who have heard Job's story. 13. And the day is that his sons and his daughters are eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother, the firstborn. This multiple-day feast occurred in the oldest brother's house, but all of the brothers threw the feast, meaning that they all provided 
food and whatever for the feast, and then the daughters were simply invited as guests, which is very gallant, isn't it? 14. And the messenger hath come in unto Job, and saith, The oxen have been plowing, and the she-asses feeding by their sides. 15. And Sheba doth fall and take them, and the young men they have smitten by the mouth of the sword, and I am escaped, only I alone, to declare it to thee. Hath fallen means hath fallen on us, or attacked us. Job was at home, and a man came to him to deliver the message that his oxen and his donkeys were taken in war as spoil, and that he's the only one who escaped to tell. This means the shepherds were killed, and the workmen out in the field who were with those animals were killed, and this one man escaped to go tell Job. In one moment, he's just learned that he's lost most of his cattle. 16. While this one is speaking, another also hath come and said, Fire of God hath fallen from the heavens, and burneth among the flock, and among the young men, and consumeth them, and I am escaped, only I alone to declare it to thee. So now a second man comes running to Job as a single messenger, who was the only one who escaped, when fire came from heaven and destroyed all of his sheep and the shepherds that were with them. Did you notice that fire came from heaven? Satan can cause what looks like miracles as well, and in the end times, Satan will cause signs and wonders. God didn't do this to Job. God gave Satan permission to do it. Satan is the one who caused the fire to come down from the sky, and that's why our faith should not be in signs and wonders. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and the words that he spoke alone, because signs and wonders can come from Satan. 17. While this one is speaking, another also hath come and said, Chaldeans made three heads, and rushed on the camels, and take them, and the young men they have smitten by the mouth of the sword, and I am escaped, only I alone, to declare it to thee. The Chaldeans have taken his camels, and killed the men who were with them. All of his livestock is gone. Thousands of animals. 18. While this one is speaking, another also hath come and saith, Thy sons and thy daughters are eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother the firstborn. 19. And lo, a great wind hath come from over the wilderness, and striketh against the four corners of the house, and it falleth on the young men, and they are dead, and I am escaped, only I alone to declare it to thee. The fourth messenger, who is a single survivor, was at the party that all of Job's children were at, and he has now said that the wind blew and the house imploded in the wind. The roof came down, and every single one of Job's children are dead. Now look how God allowed Job to be persecuted. This is colossal. This is unimaginable. The only thing he still had was the land that he lived on. He lost all of his animals, all of his children, and nearly every servant in one day. This would make anybody instantly go insane if they didn't have faith. But because Job has faith, he still has his sanity, but not much else. He is in the deepest grief. And you know, Jesus suffered immense grief that is unimaginable. The grief that Jesus went through was worse than what Job went through. But Job probably suffered more than most people have ever experienced. However, a lot of people in the world today have gone through 
unspeakable grief. Some people have been raped by their parents or prostituted by their parents or given drugs at a very early, tender age and their lives have been destroyed. There's people who've been rejected by everyone they know. There's people who have unspeakable handicaps and diseases that have caused them to be shut-ins and isolated from society. There's people who've been in sex trafficking and have no family and no safety and no shelter. God knows how much we suffer, but he's there with us, and he himself suffered even more. When we suffer, he is near to us, and he is closest to the brokenhearted. Whenever you're suffering, that's when God is closest to you. He himself has suffered. He feels everything that we feel, but he feels at times billions because billions of people are in hell or earth. And even the ones in heaven, he felt the suffering that they felt when they were on earth. Losing your child is something, but think about God. He's lost billions of his children. Billions. Not just one or two or three or four, but billions. He does understand. God knows how great your suffering has been. You are not alone and you're not misunderstood. So just know that. 20. And Job riseth and rendeth his robe and shaveth his head and falleth to the earth and doth obeisance. That means that he worshipped God. He went into mourning. He ripped his clothes, shaved his head, put dust on his head. But then he worshipped. He didn't rebel or pout or complain or accuse God. He worshipped God. The best thing you can do when you're suffering is to worship God. That will bring you out of it eventually. Maybe not in that moment, but that's the only thing that will heal you and save you is to worship God in your suffering. 21. And he saith, Naked came I forth from the womb of my mother, and naked I turned back thither. Jehovah hath given, and Jehovah hath taken. Let the name of Jehovah be blessed. Job understood that the Creator who made us has every right to take our lives away, and the Creator who gave us clothing and food and shelter and children has every right to take it away. God is God. He's greater than us. We can't judge him and we can't tell him what to do. He sees the whole story. He saw the end of Job's life, which was very blessed. And he saw Job in eternity, which is unfathomably blessed. Because God could see that, he could have patience during Job's suffering. And God has patience during your suffering too, because he sees the end. He sees when Jesus comes back and takes you in the sky, and he sees you with him in eternity. 22. In all this Job hath not sinned, nor given folly to God. When all of this happened, Job didn't sin in any way whatsoever. He worshipped the Lord, and he remained pure in his faith and in his behaviors. Satan accused Job, and God proved Satan a liar. And that concludes Job chapter 1.